Today I had the opportunity of interviewing Henry Moyo. He lives in Claremont, Florida, but he's originally from Zimbabwe. Henry's very passionate about the sport. He has an academy called the International Pro Soccer Academy, otherwise known as IPSA. He uh, has funny stories, and he also has some players that I think everybody will enjoy hearing about. He's very passionate. He believes in teaching kids, but he also likes kids to have fun. And I think a lot of us have forgotten what it is to have fun with the sport. He's going to give some good advice to parents, also good advice to, to kids who want to play in the collegiate level. I think you will enjoy Coach Henry's interview because, first of all, he doesn't speak much. So giving him this opportunity, he's uh, expressing himself, and, and, and that's what I wanted. I wanted someone that can, can be very passionate. And so without any further ado, here's Coach Henry Moyo. All right, Coach Henry, I, I thank you so much for your opportunity to interview you. I think it's uh, a very uh, neat experience that uh, people are going to hear. I think you are one of the the people I, I most admire with with the sport because I know about your passion with uh, kids. So, uh, how are you doing Thank today, you. Coach? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just getting ready for another soccer game here, but uh, yeah, I've been keeping well. Thank you. Great, great, great. Tell tell my listeners. I uh, we carry. Uh, just a few listeners, but we're growing. Uh, but I would like the, the listeners to know a little bit about you. Where are you from? I'm from uh, Zimbabwe. That's where I was born. And uh, that's where I started playing soccer till I was about uh, 20 when I left. And I went to, uh, when I started playing in Zimbabwe, I was in school. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate to, uh, to be identified and signed my early contract, my first contract when I was 17 and a half. Okay. Going at it, yeah. Tell, tell, then, tell, uh, tell, tell the listeners. Let's get a little bit uh, like really basic and raw. Tell the listeners where you were born. I mean, because I don't really know a lot of people from uh, where you're from. I mean, let you say you're from Zimbabwe. Is that correct? What city? Correct. Yeah, I, I'm from Zimbabwe, and uh, I was born in a, uh, the second largest city of Zimbabwe back then, in Kwasi Rhodesia, under the British government, a city called Bulawayo, and that's where I started playing. I played for a club called, uh, um, we had two big clubs. Uh, one was Highlanders, and I played for uh, the Splinter Group, uh, which was also known as Amazon, okay. Black Chiefs. And I was the youngest player to play for, for Black Chiefs as a goalkeeper. Okay, so, um, so, so uh, did you come from a large family? Do you have many brothers and sisters? I have, yeah, there's five of us in my family. Okay. Uh, I'm the oldest. Uh, I have a brother that lives in Canada. Uh, okay. He's married and he has kids. And then uh, I have two sisters that are still in Zimbabwe. Right. And my, how, my, other, my other brother's in South Africa. You, you mentioned that you played, um, you were signed by the Black Chiefs. How did, you start, right. how, how did you start playing soccer? Like, how old were you when you first remember that you picked up the ball and, and you played? <laughs> Uh, we always played when we were kids. Uh, we always played. Uh, uh, I remember I was telling some some of my players the story uh-huh. that my brother and I used to play pickup games back uh-huh. home. You know, pick up. We call them pickup games here, but back home every kid plays soccer. You know, we make our own homemade soccer balls because we uh-huh. couldn't afford it, uh-huh. and that's how we start playing. You well, know, well, uh, I really want you to to tell some of the the people like what what's a uh, 
what's a homemade soccer ball? I mean, I think we can identify it, but tell us what's a homemade soccer ball. Uh, back then, homemade soccer balls, we would uh, get, you know, like we had here, uh, plastic bags, like shopping bags. We, uh-huh. we stuff them up together and roll them up and roll them up and keep all of them up. Uh, some of the balls we made with newspapers inside plastic bags, but you really roll it up. It's a, it's a kind of a special way of rolling it until it's nice and firm uh, and tie it up, you know. Okay. And then you go play. You okay. just go play on the road, and, you know, on the dust, and, you know, we didn't have a lot of parts, but, you know, it was one of those things, you just played open space. Okay. And that way, that's where you hone your skills, uh, you know. And many times we couldn't afford to go watch games so we listen to radio and uh, watch TV and see all these names. You know, you just go out on on, this, on the road and, and copy what they do. Okay, that's that's yeah. re- that's really neat. And how how old do you think you were till you played your first organized soccer game? I, I mean, I imagine you didn't. I mean, I imagine you had like recreation soccer like we do here. You know, how old were you when you first played rec ball? Uh, well, we, yeah, we didn't, we didn't call it rec ball, but it's something similar. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I was probably about six, seven years okay. old when we were playing pickup games. Okay. Uh, you know, and well, what we call pickup games. So, and then I I went to a private uh, school, okay. high school, and that's when, if we call it organized, that's when we had organized okay. soccer, and our schools played against other schools. But really, that was nothing major uh, because our school was small. It okay. wasn't until I left that school, my best friend and I that were roommates with that school because it was a boarding school. Uh-huh. Uh, T- his name is Tito, Tito Packett. He was then signed by uh, another club in, in our home city. Okay. And uh, about a year later, I, I was fortunate enough because every time I was playing for a Division Two club, and I was fortunate enough to be identified by the owner of a Division One pro team. Uh, he saw me and he invited me to come and train with his team. And and is and that that's is, and that's how you basically started your competitive soccer, right? That's kind of like where you started how, organizing. That, yes, yeah, that's how I uh, I started, and that that was really my first taste of organized, uh, structured uh, how coaching with a coach. I was. I was seventeen. Okay. I was seventeen. I just finished high school. But we finished high school early back up when you're sixteen. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah. And that, that was my first taste. Yeah. And and when you were seventeen, did you play more like a reserve team or did you go straight like into the first team or a second team or reserves? Tell us a little bit about that structure. Yeah, uh, Black Chiefs had uh, the senior team and we did have a reserve team. Uh, the first few months I trained, the reserve trained with the senior team at practice in the evenings. So I would train with the reserves as a goalkeeper uh, against the senior team. And that's how we were really kind of uh, uh, developed when we were playing and training. Uh, I lived far away from where uh, the, the main training grounds were. It's called Bubba Fields. Okay. Uh, so I, we were all encouraged to just run. Our, our running exercises from wherever we lived. Uh, very few of us could uh, it, they had transport, so we would run, you know, eight nine miles to practice and run back home again. That was how far? Home. How far away were you, coach? Uh, I lived where my my parents lived. It was it was a good eight miles, uh, eight to nine miles. 
So I would do that every day. Uh, running when you know on the on the neighborhood pretty much because it was a straight road. Um and that was it was it was hard but it was fun. Um because sometimes people would see you and they identify you and you know, so that was a fun bit. What what will people um, what will people say when they see you running? <laughs> Yeah, they 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 can identify you. You know, they call you by name and say, "Oh, yeah, there's the goalkeeper for Black Cheese." Or if they saw any other famous player, they would identify them as well. They they go to the midfielder, the forward striker for you know uh, Highlanders or you know whatever team it was, because it was very normal uh, back then for us to to be seen running and to be seen training. It, sometimes we would uh, we it, would run as a whole team. As a whole team. Know? It really, eight to ten miles. Yeah. It really seems like you are reminiscing in, in uh, like laughing because <laughs> I, I imagine time does fly, doesn't it? Time flies, and yeah, it's it's good to always remember where you know where right. one is coming from and and what the sport did for them. Yeah, it was it really was fun. It brings like very very uh, positive memories. All right, so uh, let's so so you good. so how many years did you play with the Black Chiefs? I was with Black Chiefs for two. Two and a half years, okay. and then uh, I left because of the political uh, situation in Zimbabwe. I left and went to Botswana, and up there I was fortunate again to be identified by one of their um, their larger teams. Botswana at the time did not have a Premier League or professional teams, okay. but they had very good uh, um, organized teams that played and represented the country. They had their own league, but it was not pro. It wasn't as strong as what we had back in Zimbabwe. So uh, one of the teams uh, identified me and I played for them for about six, seven months. And then, and, and, then, uh, and then did you continue your uh, professional career at that time? Or can you tell us a little bit more? I, I continued as a, as a uh, I hate to say elite, but I continued as one of their, uh, their stronger players coming from a structured environment in Zimbabwe to Botswana. Uh, so it, yes, we we were kind of the stronger players of their clubs, uh, and again, I had some other friends that had come from Zimbabwe to Botswana, and uh, we played together on some of those teams. Uh, we were we were kind of looked upon as you know uh, these players that are coming from Zimbabwe from very strong programs, so we kind of helped the programs in Botswana. Um, and after those six seven months. I was one of the few that was identified again, and I went to I went to Europe. I went to Germany. Tell, tell us about your stint from from uh, in in Germany because I imagine it was a a totally different experience because you. Came... It was yeah, it was completely different, and it was it really kind of hit me hard because uh, you sort of think you know. I mean, I I did respect European soccer, but. You sort of think you know and you understand training and the disciplines of being uh, considered, you know, a, a soccer player at that level. Um, so when I got to Germany, everything was completely different. You know, obviously it starts with the culture, the language, the food, the weather, all those cool. things I had to adjust and to learn. And then playing on the field, uh, the Germans are extremely strict. They're extremely disciplined. I mean, everything is done completely different and it's done right was that uh, was that what was different because would you say in Zimbabwe it's not as strict is it more of a free play what would be the difference I think the, the biggest difference is that 
and Zimbabwe most of our coaches and trainers um, while they knew the game understood the game um, they were they were not uh, certified they were not trained as coaches uh, whereas when we when we got to Germany, we we were we had these coaches that were highly certified, played at the highest level, so the requirements uh, on their players was completely different. At home in Zimbabwe, it was kind of uh, we were free to do a lot of other things. Even on the field, we had a certain freedom of creativity. Uh, whereas in Germany, you play to what the club expects, what the coach expects. Um, I always explain to my players here that, you know, Germans will play, they will put two condoms and you, ex you expect it to play the ball in that line. They're not happy if the ball just grazes the cone. It has to hit the cone. And you do that over and over and over and over again, you know. So how old were you, uh, when, you when you got to uh, Germany? At that point, I was uh, 20, uh, going 21. Uh, I remember that well because my first, my 21st birthday was in Germany. Um, and for me, that was when I hit 21, that was kind of the beginning of uh, uh, some really tough times in my life in terms of my health, uh, which is what led to my, uh, my early retirement from soccer. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah. But you did, you, did, you, you did go to Germany. You did try yes. the, this, this, yes. this soccer dream. I tried out, I tried out for uh, FC Allen, uh, which is south, just outside Stuttgart. And I trained with them. I was part of the group or the squad. Uh, and again, I was, I was uh, training with the reserves. Um, and that's when, when, we were, when, they, when I did my physicals and my health uh, tests and stuff like that, that's when they discovered that I had a liver ailment. Uh, 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 which really, at the end, forced me to uh, to quit soccer because I I ended up in the hospital for several months, um, and after that, the doctors had recommended maybe I need to seriously think about uh, retiring. And what what did so, what did you do, Henry? What what was your what was your next stint in life? Uh, when I retired from soccer, I I started coaching. Mm -hmm. um, there were some youth leagues. Tell us about youth, your youth. Tell, tell us about your. Uh, your experience in coaches, because I think you ended up in the USA, and that's how you ended up here in in Orlando. Am I right? Via coaching. Yeah, I I started coaching in Germany, and then I I went back to school, went back to college, did my first undergraduate, and I went to a seminary, did my first undergraduate, and then transferred two years later from Germany to England, uh, where I finished up my first undergraduate, and then I was also kind of coaching a little bit, not much. Uh, and then I got a job in Tennessee at the at Lee University in Tennessee, which is NCAA Division Two. Now, uh, and that's where I started coaching, uh, and I've stayed there at, at Lee University for 18 years. Okay, tell us and, a little bit about, uh, about your coaching experience here in in the U.S. I think a lot of people will be interested in in seeing because I think you 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 you've seen a lot. Yeah, I was I was privileged to to really get a, the coaching job at Lee University um, because I didn't know anything about U.S. Uh, college soccer. I I I had heard and read and I understood that uh, it was a big deal for for kids to go to college and play college athletics, but I had never really been involved in it. So when they offered me the job at Lee University, first I I came in as an assistant coach to learn the ropes of um, you know college soccer. And then I became the head coach for the women's soccer program at Lee. I did that for three years. 
and then they promoted, well, I don't want to say promoted, but they moved me to coach the men uh, after a successful three years. Uh, so I coached the men's program for uh, for 15 years uh, when I was at Lee. And yes, I did, I did see a lot of changes. I saw a lot of successes as well. I recruited heavily um, from, again, internationally from England, from the Caribbean, from Africa, uh, and a lot of American kids as well. Because I really wanted my team to be diverse. I wanted my team to learn from each other. And fortunately, we had uh, quite a lot of success as well, maybe the last six years of my of my uh, working there at the university. Um, some of our players were you know, recruited and drafted in, uh, to play in the MLS. So those were some of the success stories of you know, coming from a small university like Lee University. Yeah, and, and I think towards the end of the interview, I would like you to tell us a little bit about some of your players. But since this is mostly about you, I kind of want to understand like just more about your, your, you as a person. Because um, yeah. I, I think one of the things that you're very good at is you're very good at um, training kids. I do, yes, I, do, I enjoy I, that. I, I, I do know that you have a passion, and, and I think you do it so uh, uh, naturally that people t- kind of take it lightly. But in reality, you are great at introducing kids to the sport. Can you tell us why? Why, why, you, why do you like teaching kids about the sport? A lot of it comes from my own experience that when I was growing up back home in Zimbabwe, you know, we played, we played pickup games. We, mm-hmm. we didn't have coaches. So most of our skills were, were honed really from the streets. And I always look back and say, I wish I had had a coach or somebody to help me develop. So, and then also when I was coaching in college, um, one of the things amongst many of us as college coaches that we always talked about was that uh, most of the players, uh, they understand the game, but they don't have basic skills. And I think it's one of those things that nationally right now in America we're talking about because of our failure to qualify for the World Cup. Correct. That our kids uh, understand the game, they're talented, and they're they they physical, but a lot of some of the basic technical skill, uh, technical abilities and skills. So, And that's what I want to that's what I really kind of am passionate about with, with young kids, that I want to teach them the right things. What, the right what, what age do you, do you believe we should start teaching the kids how to play soccer? What, what, is, what, is your, what, what do you recommend? Uh, when kids start, to, if they really want to start playing soccer, even at age six, uh, we can start them at age six. But the, the thing is that, as far as I'm concerned, and this is what I believe that, we should not overcoach kids. We want to. We want our kids to enjoy the game. Exactly. Give them the skills. Give them the facilities. Give them the the opportunity to play, and then help them with with the right habits and the right disciplines. But let's not overcoach. Okay. Uh, tactics and all this stuff. I think comes in later, maybe when they are nine and ten or you know, and twelve. But to start tactics at the age six and seven, I think it's just ridiculous. Um, what, I, what te- I, I just want kids to enjoy. I agree. What techniques do you think the kids are lacking, and what do you focus on? What we, what I focus on here, even with my coach, is that we want to teach kids uh, things such such basic things as ball control, uh, ball control, and and passing, and then allow them to be creative, um, allow them to be comfortable on the ball. But uh, passing skills, ball control skills, 
and uh, just seeing just seeing the field and seeing the game those are some of the most basic and then teaching them how to how to pass properly accurately you know, you know push passes or striking a ball uh, those are some of the basics but uh, we don't want to overcoach and, and put them in a box uh, because at the end of the day you know even if kids don't have skills if you throw a ball to a bunch of you know kids six or seven years they all get the ball and try and dribble past each other. Nobody's telling them to dribble to go towards a particular di- uh, direction. That's natural. So we want to allow mm. them to be creative and yet teaching them how to pass it properly, how to control it properly, you know, how to strike a ball. And then when they are, you know, maybe 10 or 11 years old, we begin to kind of teach them tactics. I, I always say tactics is the easiest thing to teach. The most difficult things are technique you know and at that age when kids are young uh, again in england it's, it, you know we we always say kids learn by observ- or through observation so that means coaches have to show coaches have to dump them and that's how kids learn and that's what i'm seeing as well in my own in my own academies when when you when you say that we didn't qualify for the world cup i did you? How did you feel when you found out that the USA didn't qualify for the World Cup? It was disappointing, but uh, it was. I, I'm not. I don't want to say I'm a, I'm a brain box, but uh, I could see it coming. I okay. could see it coming because we were. I think we were overplaying the same players that were not really producing much for us. Uh, we can blame it on the coaching staff. We can blame it on the system. We can blame on anything, but. Really, at the end of the day, our players uh, are lacking quite a lot, a lot. And it, we can see it in our regular clubs that our kids are way behind other international kids at their age. Um, some of the kids, for example, when I was coaching in college, the kids that I was bringing in, they were 18 and 19, were far more advanced technically than our 18 and 19-year-old Americans. And that comes down to what we teach the kids when they're younger, six, seven, eight, and nine. Uh, and that's a big difference. That's the way it comes. Because when we teach the kids the right things when they're eight and nine, they keep it. Tactics is the easiest thing. And every coach has their own tactics. But not every coach has the right skill, the technique. Correct. So, yeah. So, and uh, talking about the U.S. team, yeah, it was disappointing that we, no, the U.S. didn't qualify. But... We could see it coming. We could see it coming because a lot of those players, you know, really, you know, they were not producing. The, I think some of the listeners don't know, but you've had the experience of coaching some national players uh, that have played on the nas- on national teams. Am I correct? Yeah. Can you tell us a little That's bit about some of those I, players? Yeah, even when I was in college, uh, some of the younger players that I recruited, say, from the Caribbean, uh, of course, some of the teams in the Caribbean are not professional, but the, the younger kids were in professional academies and they represented their national teams either under 18 or under 20. Uh, so those kids were coming to me well advanced, way advanced, uh, and they won their passion for the game, their understanding for the game, and their drive for the game was completely different at a, at a much higher level than our 18-year-old club players. Uh, and I'm not saying all our 18-year-old club players are not good. It, we have some very, very talented kids. But again, it was the exposure um, to some of the high level. For example, one of my 
kids that I brought to uh, what they recruited was 18. Um, I went to see him watch. Um, I went to watch him play uh, as an 18-year-old coming off the bench for his national team in the Caribbean in Haiti, okay. and he was playing against Brazil, the senior team from Brazil. Uh, it was a it was a, a sort of a fundraising game uh, in Miami, mm-hmm. and they brought him in 10 minutes before the the game ended, and it was uh, Haiti was losing 1-0. Uh, and I mean, all the big names from Brazil were on the on the on the field. And this kid comes in at 18. Uh, he comes in. He scores the tying goal, one-one against a team like Brazil. That's what I'm saying. That when you bring in players like that, that have been in uh, national team academies, have been trained by some of the best coaches in the world. Their drive, their discipline, their understanding of the game is completely different from my 18-year-old that's playing in a club level. Understand. Understand. Yeah. But how does... And those but, kids... Sorry, go ahead. With all fairness, is it's really hard for some of these club teams to have the exposure, you know, because... It some, is very difficult, yeah. Because sometimes it's, it's, it's a connection. It's, a, it's an invitation. You know, it's, it's not an open system. Yeah. And, um, right. And maybe in countries like Haiti, because the, the kids come to the U.S. and get educated... When they go back, right. you know, they, they, they do carry some of the, 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 the good skills that we do share because all fairness, I, I think a lot of people in the U.S. Uh, criticize us, and I agree with you, but sometimes they don't understand our infrastructure. I mean, we do have great universities. We do make model, yeah. we do make model citizens, and when, when we send yeah. them back to their country, I mean, coach, we're sending better people. And I'm not saying that they're bad Absolutely. people, but we, we send quality yeah. because, you know, they're disciplined. So I'm really intrigued. Yeah. So, the, so I know you also had a a, a, um, a young lady that also played for the U.S. Women's National Team. Am I correct? Yes. Uh, when I after I retired from college coaching, I came here to uh, to Claremont to be specific. I was hired by the National Training Center uh, uh, here, at the NTC. and they asked me to come and and help develop an academy there. We we came in, and uh, I say we with with a uh, couple other people that were hired by the National Chinese Center as well. Uh, we developed a uh, a program, a soccer program, and a year later, uh, we then decided to uh, to to start a semi-pro team for women, uh, which we did. We recruited and we brought in some some uh, college kids that had graduated. One of them. Um, Libby Stout, she graduated from Kentucky and she came and played for us. She's a goalkeeper. Um, she then played for us one year and I was uh, privileged to help her with, together with a friend of mine, Mike Dick, who is now coaching uh, uh, the Jordanian women's national team. We helped her go to Europe. She played in three different, uh, for three different clubs in France, in Germany, and ended up playing about three or four years uh, in she was at Liverpool Ladies, and that's where she was identified by the U.S. national team. Uh, she was called into camp for the under 20, 21 and was also seriously considered for the uh, for the senior team. I think at one time, Libby Stout was ranked number four behind uh, uh, the then Hope Solo. Correct. Um, so those are some of those are some of the the, the kids or the young ladies that I, I worked with. I also had. We were privileged to have about three or so that went to play in Europe as well. One of them, um, Elise Larette, who played for us here as well, we helped her go to uh, to Europe, to Sweden, 
and then she came and was was called by, by Boston Breakers, the women's national, the women's team, uh, Boston Breakers, and she played on the reserve side and she got injured and she's back here now and she works for me as one of my coaches. So those are some of the small the small experiences and privileges that I've had, you know, uh, developing players and helping players. Um, and what do, you, what do you think is a common factor for those players? Because we, we, I think you and I meet a lot of people, and they all want to go to Europe. They all want to have a professional uh, experience. What do, yeah. you, what do you think drove these individuals that you just mentioned to be successful I, in a pro? Yeah, I, I think the common, the common denominator here is their willingness to learn. Uh, because even when you're talking to them and coaching them, they really, you can tell they have, they have this hunger to learn. They know they have not arrived. And I always say they have arrived. They know they have not arrived. They know they have not reached the pinnacle. They want to learn. Even, even some of the simplest questions they ask you, you know, you, you can tell, you can feel it that they want to learn. They, they want to experience some of the highest in soccer. Uh, and for example, Elise Larrette, the one that uh, went to Sweden and came back to Boston Breakers. Uh, by the way, Libby Stout also ended up at Boston Breakers. Okay. She would always ask me, Coach, can you come out and, and, and help me with this? And yeah, I would get out of the office and go out and, and help her and work with her. We would spend 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And she would, in the afternoon, she would say, Hey, Coach, you have time. I really need to work on this. Can you come and help me? Show me this. How do I do this? How do I improve on this? Same thing with Libby Stout as a goalkeeper. She, she would work hours on end, just training and training and training. So it's, those are some of the distinguishing factors, I believe, that you know, some, of the, some of the kids we have, they're hungry for the game, and they need mentors, they need people to show them, they need people that have time for them, uh, and that makes a difference for them. I understand. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's very, that, that hunger you can't teach, can you? Is that something that you No, know? you can't. Yeah, I, I have a favorite saying that I, I tell my players that, you know, you can take your horse to the river, but you can't force it to drink. It has to want to drink. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Co- Coach, what, what would you recommend a parent? Let's, let's take it from a parent point of view, because kind of like my podcasts are directed to, to parents that want to make their sons successful, you know, or sons and daughters, you know, successful. What would you recommend a parent <laughs> if they want their son to be son or daughter to be successful? What would you recommend them? Um, that's a tough one, but also a very important one. Something that I, I have addressed a few times with uh, some parents that, uh, as parents, we really have to, one, we have to be very honest and realistic with ourselves as parents, honest and realistic with our kids. Uh, we don't want to play the game or the sport through our kids. I had my time playing, and when my my kids were playing, when my two boys were playing, I really had to make sure that to be very conscious that I was not playing this game through them. That is, I wasn't forcing myself on them. Uh, we have to allow our kids to be who they are. Honesty comes in, and realism comes in when we can say to our kids, you know what, you like this sport, you're good at it, maybe you can you can actually make a living out of it. But if we know that they're average players, we can encourage them to train hard work, to train better and wiser, but at the same time, in particular when we're talking about college, to be realistic that there are only a few colleges that 
that recruit high-level players. The rest, of many other colleges, there are many other colleges that are smaller where our kids can go to. But when we drive for the top Division One colleges, I don't think that's really realistic. Um, there are many kids that can go to many other smaller colleges, and that's what that's where, as parents, we need to come in and support our kids uh, instead of trying, you know, to push these kids to, you know, to do something that we know they probably won't be able to achieve. Support the kids. Be honest with the kids. Give them time to grow. Give them time to be kids, um, and allow them to to take time off soccer. Uh, stats, you know, statistics have come out that. Uh, there's a large percentage of kids that drop out of soccer at high school after having spent 16, 15, 13 years playing. They drop out of soccer at high school. Why? Because they're burnt out. And we want to try and avoid that burnout. And we, the way we can do that is to adequately support the kids and provide them uh, time to be kids. And I, I always say to my parents that, hey, let the kids be kids. When they finish practice, they want to go and play with their toys. They want to do something else. So allow them to be kids. Gotcha. That's a yeah. very good advice, Coach. Let me ask you another question. What would you yeah. What would you advise a kid that really wants to go pro or really wants to go college? What would you advise them? What would you What would be your advice to them? Um, be disciplined. Uh, I know that's a loaded statement. Be disciplined. Understand who you are as an athlete learn and find out what it takes to be a better athlete in terms of rest times, in terms of eating habits, in terms of um, studying the game, uh, but at the same time, concentrate on the academics because at college, they're going to look at the academics and your academics will help you with your scholarships as well. It's not just about full rights. It's your academic uh, grades, your SATs, your ACTs. Uh, secondly, Learn and understand how early you can sell yourselves. Don't leave it till too late. Uh, start well, off understanding colleges let, 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 from when you're a freshman. Let's talk about that because from knowing you, you've always you you were the one that instilled in me that there is a certain age that you can you you would you know when you can take it to the next level. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like you mentioned, what what age do you feel it's a good age to really start considering colleges? Or even pro, because uh, I meet a lot of kids, Coach Henry, that they believe they can play pro. And uh, I would like you to talk a little bit about that. Tell us what your opinion is. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, this comes from me as an old <laughs> college coach that uh, our experiences and our, our interest has always been, we start looking at kids when they're freshmen in high school. We cannot talk to them, obviously. NCA has got rules and there are many other gigs in America that we have, you know, like Christian colleges and junior colleges. Uh, all those leagues have rules. As coaches, we know what the rules are. But that doesn't stop the kids themselves making contact, defining colleges, and showing interest at the college level when you're a freshman in high school. Understand. That's where you start. Understand. Because as colleges, we know what we want. We know how many seniors we're graduating. We know how many juniors we have. So we are always looking two to three years in advance. Right? So, and we know where we want to get the talent from. So those kids have to tr start showing identifying schools with the freshmen. There's nothing stopping them doing that. So that 
college coaches cannot talk to a freshman or whatever and all those things that we know. But there's nothing stopping the freshmen, high school freshmen, from identifying colleges and going to visit those colleges just to see what the college is like. So that interest starts early. It starts early. And then I always say, sell yourself. That means send resumes. Send resumes to colleges. Send resumes to coaches. Let them know who you are, that you are interested in them. And then you know, always update, you know, update your college coaches where you are, what you're doing, what tournaments you're playing. Nowadays, it's all about tournaments. What, what your school uh, soccer program is like and, and so forth so that they know. Great insight, Coach. Um, as much as Again? Very good insight because a lot of kids are looking yeah. for that. They, they're kind of lost. You know, they don't know how yeah. to get themselves noticed. Good insight. Yeah, and, and also, you know, some of this, one of the most interesting things that kids don't know how to write a resume. Learn how to write a resume because it is a selling point. We learn how to write a resume. You know, some resumes are so, so bad, you know, college coaches just put them in the trash, you know, even if you come by email, they just hit delete because it's so poor, you know, learn how to write a resume and learn how to communicate with coaches. That's why it's that. And well, also have the right contact. You know? let, let, let me ask you, let me take it away of, a little bit about from college and from pro. Let me ask you, yeah. uh, tell me your top five soccer players you admire watching growing up. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Just five. Give me five. Um, it makes it fun for, be, the, for the listeners. Yeah, I'm going to be biased. I'm a big Liverpool fan, uh, primarily because uh, years ago in the 80s, there's a goalkeeper called Bruce Grobler. Bruce Grobler is, is from Zimbabwe, so he was my idol when, I was, when he was playing in Zimbabwe. Uh, so I'm a big Liverpool fan as a result. Uh, top five players, my gosh. Um, Goalkeeper-wise, Bruce Grobler, he doesn't play anymore. He's retired a long time. But uh, nowadays, German, the German goalkeepers always fascinate me. Neuer uh, as a goalkeeper. Uh, at defense, some of the defenders, there's a whole spectrum of them. You know, Sergio Ramos, uh, you know, those guys. I mean, very, very smart, very, very disciplined. Uh, of course, uh, Iniesta's, Messi's. Those are, those are players that, as I say, they have such creativity, natural talent and creativity. Uh, overrated Ronaldo. <laughs> I know people are going to kill me. <laughs> they will kill you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, he's a good player. He's very disciplined and he's come along. I mean, he's come through the ranks. In a, he's worked hard. Ronaldo's he has worked hard. Very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so those are some of the players, you know, and then you start looking at uh, Harry, Harry Kane from England. Uh-huh. Uh, he's come through the ranks as well. Uh, blue collar, hardworking kid. Uh, then for my Liverpool teams, I mean, where do I start? I absolutely love Liverpool. Uh, uh, so, you know, those are some of the players that I, would, I, I talk about in terms of uh, when I'm talking to kids and, you know, and discipline and stuff well, like that. Well, let, let me ask you, give me a, a favorite top Give me top three coaches that you admire. Top three coaches have to be Pep Guardiola at the top of my list uh, because I think he's very, very smart, uh, studies the game, is uh, very disciplined you, from what I've read. And yeah. are you are you impressed with what he's done with Manchester City? I am. I am very impressed. Uh, it's always difficult to come to a new club and uh, change things around. I know last year. 
everybody gave him a raw deal. Hey, he, he was he was the first time working in England, first time with a, a club. Uh, I think now he's beginning to instill his no uh, his way. So things are changing, and I think uh, if he stays a, a bit longer, Manchester City will absolutely be a force to deal with. Um, so Pep Guardiola and uh, Conte at Chelsea, I like his passion. I like his drive. It comes out it does, uh, during games. It? Yeah, you can tell that he has a guy that is really, really, really passionate, and he expects his players to to play the way he's passionate about the game. Um, and I like my Liverpool coach as well. Um, you do have a good one. You he's do have a good one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's extremely passionate, very demonstrative. Uh, and I know that it practice as well uh, during during his practice sessions that the players are expected. And I've seen some of the sessions on you know uh, online. I mean, they are pushed and they drive. So yeah, those are some of the guys that I I look up to and admire. Well, let me share something with you and the listeners. I really admire you. I think you you did a a tremendous job. Uh, you know, in in your in your career, I, I know you as a person. I know that you really care for some of these kids, and I, I hope maybe a little bit down the line when I get more experience with these podcasts, we can do it again, and, and we can talk a little bit more profound issues because I know a little bit about you, that you study theology. I also know that you are very passionate with um, helping others, and I think that's 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 what the sport needs sometimes i think sometimes we're quick to to uh criticize but you know mm-hmm. i i know you're i know you're you're doing your 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 niche in your part of the world and that's why i want to interview you because i thought you, i think you have done a heck of a job and i commend you on that and i appreciate you taking time to meet with me i appreciate it thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me and to allow me to show, share some of my thoughts uh, and things that we do here at uh, IPSA. You know, uh, it's all about the kids. That's what we do. It and just give, just giving kids the time uh, to develop and to be creative. And, and I yeah. think we need to give a shout out to the Black Chiefs. Number one, for having the coolest <laughs> name, you know, and for, you, you know, I'm just a big fan of African soccer. I, I think I think yeah. there's so much talent, Coach. It's so much talent. You you know there is, and uh, yes, yes, it, it, it is beautiful. We to watch. we just yeah, we just need to be given chances and to be shown you know the discipline of soccer. But I think one of the things that we really like in in African soccer is just uh, those disciplines that we see in other European uh, clubs and coaching. Uh, we had a lot of talent, and our coaches back home they are very experienced and they they understand the game. But we we just don't have certain accesses uh, that some of us take for granted here in the U.S. Yes, yes. So, and 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 next time let's talk about some of your players that made it to the MLS. Let's talk about some of that. But I I think you made your point about the development of kids and about um you know just how they need to have fun and and also with the with it. And I would like to keep it at that because I think that's what the listeners will 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 get out of this podcast. Next next time let's let's talk a little bit more about. Uh, people because I, I think yeah. uh, talent there's a lot of talent and we know a lot of talent and I appreciate your time so thanks again thank coach you, we will be in touch thank you coach thank, okay. thank you bye bye